You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good evening, everybody. Uh, good morning. If you're listening to this on a on a drive in to work, uh, I'm I'm Matt Minnick here, joined by Michael Rogner for the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. And whoo boy, was that a performance against the Louisville Cardinals, Michael? I mean, come on now. How much how much uh, were you waking the neighbors with some of those? I guess they were. It's like five o'clock your time. But how, how much were you scaring the neighbors uh, during that game? Yeah, that second half we were going bananas. That 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 was a lot of fun, and I I was actually tweeting out during the game how jealous I was that, that you were sitting right there, and we had another guy at the game as well, and and I'm sitting at at, at home on my couch, so I just turned it up loud and and let the wall shake a little bit, and that that game will definitely, you know, ten years from now when we're talking about, let's go back and talk about the last ten, yeah. You know, the, the yeah. best games from the last decade that is I will not be surprised at all if that one's on the list I mean you know it's not a buzzer beater in Cameron uh you know because I think we were pretty unanimous on that Michael Snare one but it is definitely going to be a game I mean it was a game to remember it's one that um you know depending on what happens the rest of the season maybe could be looked at as a as a seminal moment uh, in, in the Seminoles basketball history there, if, if it's that kind of game that launches Florida State to a two seed and then, uh, and then Florida State goes on to do some things that they haven't done in a really long time or ever in, in uh, March slash early April. Uh, but, so I, you know, a part of me doesn't even know where to begin. There were so many kind of rafter-shaking moments there and, and just the I mean, incredible atmosphere. Kudos to everybody in Tallahassee who showed up. 
uh, students. You were, you were unbelievable. Uh, it wasn't just like it was loud for certain moments. You know, you hear people talk about like, oh, the Rashad Green touchdown against Oklahoma and stuff. It wasn't a moment thing. I mean, it was energetic and loud from the start. Uh, it, was, it was electric at times. And then there were other moments that were just deafening. And, and you know, I don't even know that you could hear the person next to you uh, talk. Uh, so, so kudos to everyone who attended. And, and I think it was just an incredible night for Florida State basketball with, with a five-star uh, point guard in the house to boot. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'll just kick it over to you. Just some opening thoughts on, on the game itself in terms of uh, what, what, what Florida State was able to do to, to crank it up to a, a level of play that is rarely seen. Well, it was different from the first game. Cause if you remember back to that first game, like we, we could not miss, you know, and, and especially from three, I think we ended up hitting, hitting, hitting something like 11 threes. And, and, and in this game, you know, we, we were getting open shots, but we just weren't hitting them. Um, Louisville in the, in the first half was, was, I don't want to say they were getting whatever they wanted, but they, they were getting, um, enough offense to make us uncomfortable and it seemed like you know if we weren't going to start hitting threes then you know this could easily be a game that goes in the wrong direction and then the second half um I don't even know how to describe that it was just it was just a dominating performance and it and it wasn't you know I was thinking of the NC State game when we were doing the last pod and, and how we basically played five guys for the entire second half. You know, th- this was a dominant performance, but it also, you know, had eight or nine guys who contributed in, in the second half. You know, g- guys like, Pol- you know, Anthony Polite had a huge game and is, is not getting a, a ton of credit for it. MJ Walker had, I, I, I can't remember a better uh, defensive effort, uh, you know, from 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 a from our shooting guard since you know maybe Michael Snare was was in the house and you know so there's there's a lot of of good things to take away from that uh, uh, especially in the second half and everybody's super excited about that game and I agree with them totally uh, we can get into a, a little nitpicking a little nitpicking here in the um, you know in, in the in the coming moments but I'm you know I'm kind of wondering from your perspective. You know, how was that sitting right there watching that, you know, kind of that second half sort of unfold? Yeah, it was um, – and, and I apologize if, if there was a loud, disruptive uh, bark there for anyone listening. My, my, uh, my, guard, my guard dog, Golden Doodle, who, who thinks, you know, he, he's a friend of everybody in the whole neighborhood but thinks he, he's a guard dog, um, got excited. I think he was probably excited about the game. You know, he was reliving the moments too. So, um, sorry about that. But it was – it's, it was hard to do. I'll tell you what, too. So sitting in the moment, it felt like just, you know, uh, there's the polite three at the end of the first half was really big. I think there was, you know, while that while the crowd was good and certainly into the game there, what, what you're saying is true about the first half that looked like there was a little bit of danger zone for Florida State. And, and quite honestly, I felt that Louisville being there in the stands, they looked dialed in. I mean, they came ready to play. And, and it, they were playing at a level that I was probably describing uh, to, to the folks around me. I think I was sitting next to Aria and uh, Bob from the Osceola. And, and we were saying that Louisville was playing at, a, at you know, an Elite Eight, maybe even Final Four type of level for, for a few stretches there. They were, they were hitting uh, tough shots. They were making it difficult for us to execute our offense. They were 
really focusing on Devin Vassell there in the first half. And, you know, Devin is capable of creating his own shot, but I wouldn't say that's his strength. And so when he wasn't able to get some open looks early, I think it took him a while to get into the flow of the game. Uh, and, and the polite three at the end was, was big. And, and man, what a pass from Patrick Williams. If you haven't gone back and, and rewatched that uh, play, Williams kind of gets the stop, grabs the rebound, and, and is coming up court. I mean, he splits – the pass splits two defenders and is just zipped into the corner exactly where Polite needs to be to catch. He doesn't have to scoop it. He doesn't have to reach for it. And, uh, and Polite did what he does and knocked down the corner three. Uh, so that was a huge play uh, from, from two guys who don't even start. Um, and, and you felt like, okay, so if Florida State can kind of just crawl their way back into it, there might be a chance. Uh, and, and you, you know, in the moment, it felt like this avalanche in the second half. Like I, I remember coming back from the game and just thinking that was just a, a, a complete domination performance. And, and anytime you outscore a team by what, uh, 23 points in the second half, I, of course you, you dominated aspects of the game. I rewatched it, Michael, and I'm sure you did too. I'm sure you've rewatched it several times. I kind of forgot that Louisville still led by 11, you know, at the 1458 mark. Um, so they had actually increased their halftime lead in the first five minutes of the second half. Uh, I, I don't think it felt that way in the stands because Florida State had finally started to play well. Uh, Devin Vassell had made a couple shots, um, but they, they did lead by 11. And then there's this stretch from that 1458 mark down to about the 11 or so mark uh, where we, we, cut the lead to three we we had an eight uh maybe an 11 three run or something like that I don't know that we were playing all well on the rewatch uh I think that Louisville simply missed open shots I know uh Ryan McMahon missed two there was one there was an audible gasp from everyone in the crowd when he took it and then he missed and there was this exhale of like oh thank god he finally missed uh so I I, I you know I think that was just maybe Louisville cooled off a little bit and we were able to cut it within uh within three Here's where the where the rubber met the road, though. And so at the 10:05 mark, Michael, it's it's uh, 55 to 52, Louisville, and and there's a foul on David Johnson, and, and Patrick Williams goes to the line, makes a couple free throws. We get a we get a polite defensive rebound, two more made free throws, another polite defensive rebound, a made uh, Raquan Evans jumper. He misses the free throw, a polite offensive rebound, two more uh, free throws this time by MJ Walker. And, and 20 or 30 seconds later, a live ball steal and an absolute haymaker by Patrick Williams. And in the span of 90 seconds, Florida State goes from down three to up seven. And that is the kind, that is the type of punch. Uh, you know, I, I use the boxing metaphor in the article. That is the Mike Tyson furious combination that I'm not sure a lot of teams are capable of in the country. Uh, it certainly had Louisville back. They called an immediate timeout. They were on their heels. They had that moment where I, I'm not sure that they knew what just happened, quite honestly. They, they were leading a ball game for the entire first 30 minutes, and Florida State just just unloaded on them uh, and went up eight or seven there uh, in about a 90-second span. So that was, that was, I think, the defining stretch of the game. Uh, Ryan McMahon did hit a couple free throws. Polite comes back, makes a, a critical jumper, and it was never closer than six again. Uh, so that that to me was the defining stretch. It, it blew the roof off the uh, the Civic Center, and and I don't know if it came through on TV, but on the re on the rewatch that that really and it was all done. You know who was on the court? 
it was done with a bunch of backups on the court, right? I mean, is, isn't that who was there? Yeah, it was, it was right. Yeah, right before that, that haymaker, there was a media timeout. And then coming out of the timeout, Vassell goes to the bench and here comes MJ Walker. You know, MJ had, had stepped on the ref who, I don't, even want, I don't even want to talk about that, the fucking refs. Um, the MJ had stepped on the ref and turned his ankle, and then all of a sudden he's coming back into the game. Okay, now we got all our guys, and they don't, you know, because they were, they were without Malik Williams. You know, we're within three. Let's see what happens. And then, bam, you know, you, you, you turn around, and, and, and we're, we're up uh, a seven, like, like you said. Um, it was It was – MJ Walker and Raquan Evans and Dom, um, let's polite. See, uh, polite and Patrick Williams, yeah. And so, not, not our uh, you know our finishing lineup as we'd call it. And Raquan Evans, you know, he had uh, he he went right into uh, Darius Perry and drew and drew a foul, uh, made a couple of free throws, and then on the very next. Uh, possession FSU goes right back to him down in the post same defender same result except he makes the shot this time and then he misses the free throw and Anthony Polite just out hustles their entire team you know to get the rebound he grabbed the rebound on the other side of the lane Michael yeah yeah and and goes to MJ Walker who immediately attacks Ryan McMahon so it was just they had clearly talked about who they wanted to be attacking and it was uh, either leading to easy buckets or uh, free throws. And there wasn't a thing in the world that Louisville could do about it. I mean, what do you do if you're the opposing, what, what is going through your mind? You're the opposing coach or maybe the opposing player. You just watch, uh, you just watch the opponent erase, t- turn a three point deficit into a seven point lead in about 90 seconds. Their freshman threw down a Dominique Wilkins hammer. Uh, and and you look up, and they weren't even doing that with their with Vassell and Forrest. Now you got Vassell and Forrest checking back in the game. I mean, what what at what point is going through your mind of like I, I don't know that we can hang with these guys? Yeah, the good news for Louisville is that there's there's not a lot of teams in the country who can just out physical them. Uh, Ham made a pretty clear effort in the second half to be the more physical team. And it, it and it paid off, and there's just not that many teams that can that can do that to Louisville. So they came back and went to uh, Brian McMahon, who who put up that three pointer and got fouled by Anthony Polite. It was, I mean, technically it's a foul because he does touch him. Brian McMahon doesn't need to fly like he's shot out of a cannon. Um, he's he not counting that play. He flopped four times in this game and was successful three times. So kudos to him. He was. So he was three for five from the three-point line and three for four on flops. So it was, it, was, it, was a good, it was a good night for him. But anyway, so he makes all three free throws. And then we come right back down and Anthony Polite goes over their center and makes, you know, makes a banker. And it's just like, okay, the, any hope that Louisville thought that they had by getting those three points, it's just like Florida State erased it in like, you know, eight seconds. And then it was right back to, to, the, to the same of, Louisville <laughs> not able to make their shots and FSU just staying with the press, staying with their pressure, staying with the downhill attack on offense. And yeah, it, it was impressive to see. Um, the, the, a couple of notes, you know, that, that are important for, you know, thinking about this game is that 
you know, I, I had Louisville charted in the second half as 0 for 7 on completely uncontested threes, uh, 0 for 2 on uh, lightly contested threes. So this is the best shooting team in the ACC. That's not going to happen very often. If they were making some of those threes, this is obviously a very uh, different game. And then uh, we, we tend to forget a little bit about the Malik Williams injury because it happened, you know, like two minutes into the game. But this is a guy who had just worked his way back into the starting lineup. He's coming off 17-9 and nine against North Carolina the game before that. He had 14 points, 13 boards. You know, so this is a major component of their team, especially when the other center, Stephen Enoch, is playing, is playing on a heavily taped-up ankle. So love the fact that we totally dominated Louisville in the – uh, in both games that we played with them. But if we see them again in the ACC tournament, I will not be surprised one bit if this is like a pick em or, or Louisville is even favored by like a point or something. Yeah. It, first of all, it's, hard, it's it's incredibly hard to defeat a team of Louisville, Louisville's caliber three times. Uh, if, if Louisville had already defeated us twice and we faced them again in the ACC tournament, I, I'd be feeling okay about the chances for Florida State. I, I, just, I just think it's really difficult to um, – if, if two teams are both good and if you, if you think it's a 50-50 or even 60-40 type of matchup, I mean, to win three in a row is, is difficult. Um, I, I think the Williams point – the Malik Williams, not Patrick Williams point, is, is critical – uh, they, they were already a team playing on one day's rest. They were doing so in, in an arena that is extremely difficult. And, and quite honestly, I've, I've been attending games there uh, for over 20 years. And that, that was the most energetic atmosphere and, and some of the loudest. And not just loud for the sake of being loud, but almost like an angry. I mean, there were some moments there where it was like that combination of excitement, but also uh, <laughs> like – kind of F you to the other, you know, like this, this release of pent up fr- frustration. Um, so, you know, to lose a guy like that early on certainly impacted both what they were trying to do uh, defensively as well as just their legs. I mean, that's, that's, that's 28 to 30 minutes that other people have to absorb. I, I think that might've had something to do with the, the second half three point shooting Florida state wears teams out anyways and, and a lot of those sh- shots were missed short uh, down the stretch. And so I, I do think that some of that was um, j- just quite simply tired legs that might not be there if you're facing a team on three or four days rest. Uh, t- noteworthy that Florida State didn't shoot all that well from three either. I think they only attempted uh, a couple of threes in the second half. I know Trent Forrest hit one early in the second half and Devin Vassell hit one or two, but I'm not sure they attempted more than five in the second half. Um, yeah. So what, what do you think about the, I don't know, on rewatch, it was still incredible. It didn't, I, I certainly forgot that we actually, the lead increased from, from the first part of halftime, the first five minutes of halftime that Louisville's lead actually, uh, or the second half, excuse me, increased. I I'm kind of thinking that this was the, the highest peak performance I'd seen since the Xavier, uh, the Xavier second half in the, in the tournament a couple years ago where that was a one seed Xavier, a 29 win team Xavier and Florida state trailed by 12 with about 10 minutes to play. Uh, and, and so they won by five, they outscored a one seed by 17 in the final nine forty eight of that game. 
uh, again, very similar, just a devastating combination of, of, of haymakers and, and getting to the line and suffocating defense combined with extreme execution off the, on the offensive end. Is that, um, do you think that game, is that a fair comparison? Is, is this maybe the peak at which we could reasonably expect this Florida State team to play? Yeah, if we play that the way we played in the second half, we can we can uh, beat anybody in the country. who can win a national title. It's just you know the the uh, the, um, um, the 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 rub is just going out and doing it. You know, it's not it's not like you can just you know program these guys to. Right. to well, play nobody at plays level. at their peak level every game. Like no one in the country does, right? Right. And, and and if we struggle, it's not because they're not trying. It's not because they slept walk through uh, the walk through. It's just you know team struggle. That's what happens. But the the thing that really stuck out to me, and especially in, in the second half, was how much we just absolutely denied Louisville the ability to run any sort of offense. It was all one on ones and. Uh, uh, there's a there's a guy who runs Hoop Vision Plus, and he actually put out a visual today um, that shows that Florida State um, forces more ISO uh, 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 more ISOs than any um, team in the nation, and it was definitely on display against Louisville. They they had this play that they ran a bunch in the first half as this little like tandem ball screens followed by a butt screen that was freeing up three point shooters. And, and they tried to run it three or four times in the second half and they couldn't even, they couldn't even get through the motions, you know, before guys were getting knocked off their position. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was just incredible um, defensive performance, not necessarily from a point per possession standpoint or or anything like that. It was just still hit tough shots in both halves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So, but even when they were hitting those tough shots, it wasn't a result of something that they're practicing in uh, in in the gym. All the plays that they're they're practicing, it was just a result of of their guy beating our guy, and then that, that's what this defense is going to force you to do. And if if you don't have guys that can win one on one battles, then you're not beating Florida State. Right, and and there's few teams across the country that do have guys at that level who can win one on one battles. I think Trey Jones comes to mind for Duke. I think. Um, you got Butler out there at, well, so not Butler, the team, uh, Jared Butler out for Baylor, uh, I, I think could win some one-on-one matchups. I, I think that, uh, Malachi Flynn maybe, uh, and Kansas, I think certainly has, you know, as a book, he's just a whole nother level of, of kind of person to guard down underneath. Um, and, and of course, uh, you'd never want to see Miles Powell, uh, get hot from Seton Hall, but there's not a lot of teams that you feel like, all right, we, we are in trouble because they have a guy who can just go get you some. Uh, that, that just doesn't exist. Most of those guys are either freshmen or they don't play in college basketball. Um, speaking of, uh, I think, some individual players, let's, let's talk a little bit. The, the game itself was incredible. Let's, let's look at a couple of individual players before we take a quick break. Uh, I'll, I'll start with Trent. Um, so it's interesting that he Trent Forrest has only been Ken Palm MVP four times this year. Uh, and, and he often has done that in his career where he doesn't, you don't see him really take it to like that level that, you know, the dominating level that perhaps we like, for instance, the Gonzaga game last year, but he sort of picks his spots and knows when he needs to. Here's three of the four games in which he's been the MVP of the game uh, analytically Purdue in an overtime win on a neutral court. Uh, against against a good team, a very good team. Duke in Cameron for the loss, and now last night 
uh, or two nights ago against Louisville. So I, I, Trent Forrest seems to know when to step up in big games. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and, and, I, and I thought that some, some of my favorite moments were actually not even during the game. It was after the game. And, and the one was in the layup line where Malik Williams tries, tries to smack talk him and, and Trent just turns and points at the uh, scoreboard. And then the other was in the, in the post game. You know, they were interviewing him. And I, and I guess Louisville was really talking a lot of smack during the game. And Trent just said, look, if you're going to talk that much trash during the game, you've got to be able to back it up. And they couldn't do it. Um, there was another moment when he backed, uh, I think it was Fresh Kimball down, and uh, just went right over him and scored. And then he, as they're running back down the court, Trent's doing the little rocking the baby uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. motion, and and Kimball got all upset about it. That was, uh, that was pretty great. So it was it was nice to see. You know, Forrest is a very stoic guy. It was nice to see him kind of come out of a shell a little bit. <laughs> bit. Yeah, that it was. That Go dunk ahead. at the end. Uh, the dunk at the end was just it was just silly. Yeah, that was – I mean, I had somebody, a buddy, tell me today they saw it on Jalen and Jacoby. Uh, so, um, I, it's that the, the posterization of Jordan Noir was certainly uh, catching attention. I think it was Sports Center number one dunk probably will be – or number one play, probably going to be a top ten play of the week. Um, and, and, you know, certainly will go down as one of the iconic dunks uh, in Florida State uh, history. But, you know, there were some other really – we talked about Polite a little bit and how Polite was on the court for that for that stretch that the haymaker that we threw uh, there midway through the second half. Uh, he, he was, he was very good. Uh, Raquan Evans, you know, man, this kid just goes to show what a little bit of health and confidence does for you. And, you know, he was, he was a guy that we were high on uh, coming out of Juco. He tore his hamstring early in the summer, missed all the summer ball, fall practice, uh, and really just looked tentative uh, to start the year. But, Man, oh man, the coaches stuck with him. They've trusted him, and, and he's certainly coming around, and, and you like his future. Uh, and, and then what about, what about Patrick? I mean, is he – it seems like he's really putting it together. Uh, is that safe to say he's probably gone? <laughs> yeah, I think he's, he's – uh, we, we, <laughs> we mentioned after he struggled a few weeks ago that, hey, maybe there's a slight chance that he's, he's back for a sophomore season. But no, I mean, the, the way that he's been, he's been playing recently, he was over to just, or able to just overwhelm a, a, a lot of the Louis De, Louisville defenders, got to the line eight times, you know, so. Well, and the but dunk he, he had. Yeah, incredible. that dunk, he could have he dunked it with his mouth. I mean, he was, he was so high on that. It's, it's, his, his level, the levels that he can get to when he has a little freedom to get a running start, are, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that play had a lot of scouts um, checking boxes for sure. Dom, Dom, I thought played a played. A, you know, he only had four points, a uh, couple of defensive rebounds, but really nice job of of clogging things up and setting screens. Is that? I mean, do you think is this, this is his kind of role moving forward? Yeah, he was, he, and he was also super physical when we when we needed to be the more physical team. He 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 does not shy shy down from contact on on either side of the floor. Um, he gets a little tentative because he can't jump up and dunk the ball. But other than that, I mean, he's always bumping guys and shouldering guys. And and he he actually was awarded by the staff um, as the the co defensive. <laughs> Um, MVP along with uh, along with MJ. I, I know that some of those things are a little political, and MJ probably deserved it. But it was nice that the staff, you know, sort of uh, 
recognized his contribution in this game. He he played 12 minutes, but they were they were 12 really um, valuable minutes. And when when Balsa came in, he he was just not able to, you know, compete physically with with, with how uh, you know. Um, Physical Louisville likes to be down in the paint. Yeah, Balsa's got a bright future ahead of him. This game, I think, was just a bit too much for him, like you said, physically and and sort of the intensity of the game. Uh, But that and that's so that was a really shrewd move by the coaching staff to bring in a guy like Dom in in the offseason as a grad transfer. For me, it was a very Ryan Reed esque or John Kreft type of game, just just being that kind of physical presence that that Florida State needs uh, at times. And, and Raekwon Gray, I, I would be remiss if we didn't mention him. I mean, early on in the game, he really was the only guy who was kind of keeping Florida State in it, was able to take his man off the, off the bounce almost at will at times, was, was under control. Uh, he, 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 you know, he, he picks up fouls because he's a big guy sometimes, and, and uh, you know, he gets called for those your big fouls, especially uh, when he's driving. But, I mean – his play early on was was great, and uh, and he, he had some really big defensive rebounds late as well when we were trying to seal seal the win. So, you know, shout out to Raekwon Gray. Uh, anyone else that you feel like I, I – I mean, I, I'm sure we could probably shout out every player on the team considering the win, but anyone else stand out to you? Yeah, when I was when I was thinking about this game and, and talking about players, I actually had that exact line in my head is that there's like nine guys that we could we could spend – five minutes on each you know it was was just that kind of performance you mentioned Gray's uh, defensive rebounding Malik Osborne also did a really great job when when we're going small we you know Gray and Osborne just have to get grown man rebounds especially against a team like like Louisville um, which has plenty of players on their side that can do that and and Gray and Osborne both did a, a fantastic job of just you know being more physical and more athletic than than the, the guys that were, that were trying to compete. All right. Well, it was a, it was a night to remember. We're going to take a, a quick break. Uh, I'll probably go watch the tape again one more time uh, of the second half. Uh, and then we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit just to be like, what, what does this mean at a national level? What does it mean for the program? What does it mean? Um, you know, like, is a one seed possible? I, I don't know. Uh, so let's, we'll talk about that. When we come back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so we are back. We, uh, I did, you know, I actually watched it twice. I told Michael we'll, we'll come back in a couple hours later and just hit, hit, uh, come, continue where we were. I just hit pause, but no, um, this it feels like we're we're in position now. I mean, so we're in the we're in the driver's seat for the ACC tournament one seed, like the the regular season title, if you will. Uh, that that is at this point ours to lose, thanks to uh, Duke choking against Wake Forest. Duke had a nine-point lead with a minute 21 to go against Wake Forest, uh, and they somehow managed to cough that one up uh, and lose. So Florida State is is in control of its destiny in the ACC. Uh, that is incredible in and of itself. 
it feels like we're solidly on that two seed line right now in the NCAA tournament. Does that, does that feel about right? Yeah, I think, I think we're what the sixth or seventh seed probably overall right now. Mm-hmm. Seventh, if I had to guess. Well, so if we win out, I, I've been getting this question a lot. Can we just, I mean, if we just win out, can we be a one seed? So that includes the ACC tournament. And, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, Kansas, is is there any way that Kansas cannot no. be at one seed? They would have to lose till two. They've got Kansas State and TCU coming up this week, and they would have to lose both of those games, and there is a 0% chance of that happening. I don't think they would fall off the one seed line if they lost both those games. I'll, I'll go. Oh, They're yeah. like 11-3 and three or something in quad one. Quad one. I don't think they would fall off if they lost out, and I'll say the same thing for Baylor. Yeah, Baylor's same boat. So that's two of the one seeds. Gonzaga, I don't know. They – I, supp- I suppose in theory they could lose to San Diego. They play San Diego uh, tomorrow night. Um, that's they roughly have a. I think they're going to be like thirty point favorites. So uh, <laughs> again, again, not going to happen. And the way that the so West that's a Lloyd Coast Christmas com- type of chance is what you're telling me. Yeah, exactly. The way the, the way the West Coast tournament is structured is that the good teams don't have to play the bad teams. It's 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 a really smart. A way of 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 promoting your good teams and screwing over your bad teams, um, so they only uh, will will see basically uh, either BYU and 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 St. Mary's and one other team. So they they just have no they don't they have no uh, you know bad losses left on their resume. So I think that Gonzaga is probably locked in at one which basically leaves San Diego State. So San Diego State um, has to go on the road to face Nevada. They, they could definitely lose that game. Um, and then they're not going to pick up. There might be a quad one win somewhere in the Mountain West tournament, but I'm, but I'm not sure about that. So that leaves like seven teams that are competing for that last uh, number one spot. And that's only if San Diego uh, State kind of stumbles and, and – so I'm hearing you say – I keep hearing you say, well, if this team loses. It sounds to me like, you know, could Florida State be a one seed if they won out? Maybe. Um, that, but it seems like it's going to take not just Florida State winning out, but, but a San Diego State losing to Nevada or a Gonzaga losing in the semifinals of their uh, West Coast Conference tournament. Even that might not be enough. Is that I – mean, that's what it sounds – I think I agree with you, but that's what I think I hear you saying. Is that right? Yeah, we're, we're not going to pick up a ton of quad one wins. Uh, Clemson is right on the edge right now of being a quad one win, and and if we beat and if them, we beat the, them, they'll, yeah, they'll drop. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and there's no there's not much chance that they, uh, you know, rally for a big run in the ACC tournament to get back in there. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame's def a definite quad one win, um, and then we play Boston College, so we basically have one chance left. Uh, realistically for a quad one win uh, before the tournament and then in the tournament the only teams that would currently be quad one wins are Louisville and Duke so not even Virginia Virginia is slightly outside 50 right now and you have to be at the top 50 to be a quad one on a neutral court yeah yeah so so if we do end up as the one seed then that means Louisville and Duke are going to be playing each other so we'll have one chance you know for a for a quad one win in the tournament it means we'd have to win the ACC tournament pick up a quad one win so there's just not a lot of a meat you know there for us to, for us to add back onto the bone you know we're we're, we're pretty much uh our, our resume is is good is going to be great obviously but it's like it's like two seed great you know it's not yeah. it's not it's not right. one seed great yeah i i actually 
I, I think Virginia has a really good chance of knocking off Duke on Saturday, uh, in, which, in which case then Florida State could lose even two games maybe and still, um, still potentially win uh, the, the one seed in the AC tournament. I, and, and that probably would, not, would bring Virginia up into the top 50. But that's, not a, that's just what my opinion is. And so I, I agree with you. We just don't have a lot of chances. Left. Like at most, at the very, very most, we would have four more quad one chances. And if you beat those teams too bad, like a UVA or a Clemson, then you're going to knock them out. So uh, Virginia Tech moving back up into the top 75 would be huge. That would be a big development for us. UF winning a few more games and becoming, uh, you know, kind of in the top half of the quad one. Like if UF were able to get back up into the top 25, that would be, I think, big for us. But yeah, I just, at this point, I'm with you. We need, we need help in order to be a one seed. Baylor and Kansas are just too far out uh, and the others don't have a lot of bad chances left. The good news is, is that being a two seed would still be an incredible accomplishment it would still mean that we're, we're I mean, going to be going to Tampa and we're going to have a much better chance of, of making this the second weekend than we would if we were a, a four or a five seed. Uh, and so, and, and it means that we could legitimately be talking about an ACC regular season title in a year in which we didn't even have the easiest unbalanced schedule. Um, let's just take a step back and, and kind of repeat what we just said. So Florida State is currently 24 and four. Last year, we set the program record with 29 wins. We are now five away from tying that. I, uh, the BC win almost seems assured. I think we probably split against Notre Dame and Clemson. So, I mean, the, the heights to which this program has suddenly started re- – I mean, we're, we're talking about averaging over a four-year span, maybe 27 wins. Uh, we went 26 in 2017, 23 in 2018. 29 last year it looks like it's going to be somewhere between like 27 and 30 something this year I mean are you kidding me this is this is Florida State basketball we're talking about and and it all came after coach Hamilton totally revamped his system after winning an ACC championship is is that not does that not sound insane to you yeah the the level that the the, the 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 fans are now treated to it's it's like I, I i know that when when i was in college florida state had a pretty good basketball team but not like this you know and so um i'm i'm, I'm thrilled for the fans to be able to go out there and, and experience things like you know that game against louisville but appreciate it while we have it because it's it's not going to be here forever it's not and i would even take that a step further and say appreciate this regular season folks like appreciate what that louisville game was it Life is a journey and, and the incredible moments that come along the way are what make it special. We saw a Virginia team not only lose to a, a 16 seed a couple years ago, we saw them actually get blown out by a 16 seed. So March Madness is exactly that. It is madness. And, and you know, don't get wrapped up in a singular defining round of the tournament and, and just appreciate what has happened here what is transpiring in in the the landscape of college basketball for florida state Flor- hamilton always talked about being a program of rel- rel- uh, relevance and he has certainly established that um that foundation now and, and and we truly are a program of relevance and is it 
I, I just still can't believe that he, I mean, I'm thinking of like Tiger Woods when he, he won the masters as a kid and, and kind of won some other tournaments and then totally revamped his swing and, and then got even better uh, in 2000. I mean, is it, I, I just, I don't know. Or like Bobby Bowden go into the fast break offense or something like totally revamped the offense that we were running uh, where we were already, you know, in the top five. And then he unleashed fury with Charlie Ward in the fast break offense. Uh, it's just mind mind blowing to me that Hamilton reinvented what he was doing and, and, and took the program to an even higher level. Yeah. It, it takes a tremendous amount of self-confidence to be able to take something that is uh, very successful and break it down and do something very, you know, different. Like you mentioned with, with Tiger Woods and shout out to the cat and uh, as well as, as Bobby Bowden. Um, I do wonder though, is, is, was Hamilton's transformation? Was it, is that the reason that Florida state is so much better or is getting better players because of that transformation? The reason I, I haven't thought about this a ton, but, but uh, I'm, that's the theory I'm kind of running with right now. So you, let me, you're saying, sure. We, we, we change it up, but it's not necessarily, it's not the change in itself. It's that we have better players maybe because of the change and the one and done era or whatever. And, and now we just have better. Is that what I'm hearing you say? We have just better yeah, talent. Great players make great coaches. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't argue that we don't have some, I mean, heck John Isaac's probably the best, best individual talent we've had roll through here. You certainly seen the kind of the feats that Patrick Williams is capable of. Uh, but I mean, Michael, I know you've talked a lot about uh, what is it, the stat of, of, you know, having two NBA first round draft picks on a team or something. I, I feel like those 2009, 2010 teams, I, I think, didn't they have like seven or eight blue chip recruits on them? And, and I know uh, Tony Douglas was a first rounder and Chris Singleton was a first rounder. They were both on that 09 team. Yeah, the 2012 team. Um... We'll start there. So they had, I think that was, I think that was the most blue chips that we've ever had on, on one team. Um, but not, not from an NBA perspective, you know, there were not guys getting drafted. So let's see, uh, Carl White was the only guy drafted off or Bernard James played in the NBA, I guess. And then yeah, Carl some, White. Some, some guys, some guys <laughs> played in the NBA, but I'm specifically talking. So if you go back like 25 years in the, uh, uh, and you look at uh, the final four who won the final four, Every single team has had at least one first-round pick on the team, and uh, all but three have had multiple first-round picks. Like eighty percent of them have had at least three first-round picks. You know, so the so the teams that are winning um, uh, at the highest level have a ton of NBA talent on them. And when I look at this year's team, you know, I see Devin Vassell, I see Patrick Williams. You know, there's there's a uh, sort of outside chance that some of the other guys could get drafted. Last year's team had Devin Vassell and and Calvin Gelly, so there's two first round picks right there. Um, and I I'm just not recalling uh, those earlier teams. But then you mentioned 2009, so I guess that would be the team. You know, they, Tony Douglas, Chris Singleton as a freshman, right? Yeah, Chris Singleton's a freshman. Tony Douglas is a senior. Um, or I guess even was it the year before um, that it was. Uh, well, two years before that had Al Thornton as a senior and Tony right. Douglas Tony's as a sophomore. sophomore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like there was, there certainly was some talent on those teams. And let, let me, I'll push it even further. Mike Snare was five-star recruit. 
uh, I, I will be the first to first Mike Snare is a fantastic human being and uh, I, I very much enjoyed covering him and getting to know him uh, and, and even got a chance to engage with him off the court some. Uh, so if you're listening, Mike, uh, shout out uh, to, to you both as your career and also just uh, hope you're doing hope you're doing well. He he I feel like would have thrived like in today's NBA landscape in, in what they're looking for the three and D. And in today's Leonard Hamilton system, I mean, I feel like he'd be looked at as a, as a six, five, three and D stud that would be a first round pick. No. Yeah. I I think, I think basketball, he, he, he came up at the wrong time, just like, you know, Dom, you know, Dom, certainly not the level of player that Michael Snare was, but he's just a basketball player at the wrong time. Right. He he should have been back 15 years ago and Snare now. Yeah. Right. And (laughs) so, so Snare, uh, he did a lot of things really well. Like if, if you look at our, our current um, guards, I think I think MJ Walker is probably the most apt comparison for snare and no offense to MJ Walker. I love him. I love the, I love the, I love his game. I love how tough he is. I think that if he sticks around for a senior year, he's going to have a massively successful year, but uh, Michael snare is MJ Walker said better at everything. You know, he was, he was that kind of player and it's unfortunate that he didn't play on a team where, where, that could really, you know, kind of stand out. And I agree that if he, if he was on this year's team, oh, man, he, he would be the guy that we're constantly talking about. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was 40% from three, 67 for 166 his, his junior year, uh, 84% from the free throw, getting get to the line almost, uh, you know, not I mean, equal as MJ Walker and knocking him down at a higher rate. And and then the defense was just incredible, uh, and so yeah, he would be, he would have thrived in this system. So I don't know. I so I guess we go back to the question then of, I'll I'll give you that the 2012 team didn't. Ha- I mean, so Mike is a, is a dude, and and Bernard James did have a cup of coffee in the NBA. But is what's the difference between the '09 team and now? I'm, and it's a legit question. It may be something we come back to on a future podcast. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that, you know, the the, <laughs> the offense on that 0-9 team was just so bad, you know. They didn't and, have shooters, basically. Yeah, they, did, they, they didn't have shooters, and they turned the ball over at a crazy high rate. You know, we were still playing twin post system, and, and just they also did not have uh, the, the depth that the current team has. You know, the current team, we saw like nine guys – uh, uh, contributing against Louisville, you know, you look at that uh, 09 team. Really. Yeah, I mean, it was like Jordan Demercy. Like, what what is he contributing yeah. to to the team? And and uh, you know, and even uh, freshman Xavier Gibson wasn't. I mean, he didn't even play fifteen percent of the minutes. So yeah, and Dulcus was not Dulcus as a freshman, and so it may just be like a mismatch of. Of like, you know, had those guys maybe been a little more advanced or, you know, who knows. But Had Tony been on like the 11 team or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that 09 team was give the ball to Tony and everybody else just get out of his way. Yeah. Well, it, maybe it's an interesting offseason debate that we can come back to. Yeah. Uh, I think we're right about at 45 minutes now. And so we're going we're gonna to cut it off there. I know that we've been trying not to go to that hour length. So um, I, I hope everybody enjoyed the Louisville game and, and we'll come back uh, and talk Clemson next time.